Well, today uh, we're continuing in our study of Second uh, Thessalonians, and this is uh, quite a portion of Scripture, and there's so many different uh, references that I'm going to be sharing, and a lot of Scripture and a lot of information that I would encourage you certainly to look in your Bibles, you know, but also just listen to and maybe take a note on the reference and go back and look at it later. Um, also, too, if it gets confusing, don't worry about it. Um, there's a lot here. Uh, you can always listen to it later and figure out what I was saying, right? Um, there's a lot here, and yet I believe it's understandable, and I believe the Lord wants us to understand it. Indeed, uh, who this letter is written to is written to a church of believers that are less than a year old in the faith. And Paul had already shared the things that I'm going to share with you today before with them when they were three weeks old in the faith. So the idea that someone can't take the deep truths is not true unless there's sin in the way or they've been hardened or, 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 or covered, in a sense, with their sin where they're not able to see and respond. So if our hearts are right, we should be able to understand what God intended and yet uh, don't uh, allow the amount of what we go through to distract you. Um, today we're going to see the ultimate sign of the day of the Lord, and that's the abomination of desolation revealed. Now, there are lots of uh, ministries out there, lots of prophecy ministries, whatever it might be, who are continually talking about the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation. That's all they do is they tantalize believers' flesh through the possibilities of the future or whatever that might be, Will. <laughs> That's, uh, they also use sound effects, That's, uh, but we're not them, so... Um, but uh, they do that to, to manipulate you to get excited about end times. And that's not the reason why God shares these things for us, because Christ has defeated our, our enemies and will defeat them. He shares it that we would focus on Christ, that we would know we are secure in him no matter how difficult those situations arise. And so we don't sit here and do this, but today we're coming to one of those passages that they're always talking about. And so keep this in mind, it's not for us to get tantalized or focused on, but for us to recognize uh, who the victor is and not to be discouraged during the temporal uh, difficulties that come for following Jesus Christ. As I mentioned already, this book is written to a group of new believers. Uh, uh, They have come to faith. They've turned from idols uh, to serve, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers them from the wrath to come. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was with them for three weeks, and uh, he shared truth with them concerning Christ, concerning the future, concerning who they were in Christ and what they needed to do in their following of Christ. And then uh, the Apostle Paul, because of some threats, uh, as we're going to see today, needed to share another letter to them. They were being persecuted greatly for their faith in Jesus, and there were, those, there were false teachers who were putting out a false message as though what they were going through was actually the day of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul had shared with them in the first letter that that's not going to happen for them. They're not destined for rest. So they are on the verge of being quickly shaken up or troubled. And that's what false teaching does to the church. We get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine rather than standing firm in the truth. And so the Apostle Paul is going to remind them of the truth. And we're going to look at it. And we have so much more that we can add into it from the Scripture so that we can have a good understanding of what is going on. 
Well, in this book already, he has encouraged them in the midst of their suffering because they're suffering greatly, but God hasn't missed a beat. Those who are persecuting them will be taken care of by the living God. Those who do not know the Lord and have not believed or obeyed the gospel, their end is sure. And uh, they may seem to be getting away with it, but they won't. And we saw that our ultimate relief comes when Christ comes. Our ultimate release of suffering comes when he comes. And we should be encouraged. And the Apostle Paul prayed towards the end of chapter 1 that uh, we would walk in the context of our calling and live up to that in a sense in Christ. And that all our desires for goodness and for the work of faith would be uh, amply fulfilled by the Lord. Tremendous, wonderful reality. Then we got into chapter 2, in which we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the first portion that we saw last week, and we're going to move into part of the rest of it together. So let's turn together again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking today at verses 3 through 5. Now I'm going to start back with what we focused on last week, and then we'll move into what we barely touched on, and we'll expand upon that today. Verse 1, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect the day of the Lord has come. And here's our passage. Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Now, I want to keep reading for context, but that's where we're going to stop. But I want to read because everywhere we read about this bad guy, always nearby is his defeat. Every passage we're going to see. And we don't, we want to see that too. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, That is, the one who is coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders, with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they may believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged, who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning, for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the summary, which applies to our passage, it's really the application, by the way. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. That's the apostles, Apostle Paul. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and given, and, and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort 
and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So obviously there's a lot to talk about here and there is so much in scripture about uh, the end times. We don't need uh, 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 some uh, person telling us all the things that could and might and should and would happen. We have the reality of what God says will happen. And it is all in the context of, of, uh, of our enemy being defeated. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. And John shares in 1 John that many deceivers have gone out into the world. Peter said in 2 Peter, False prophets also arose among the people just as teachers, false teachers among you. The reality is in the church, there's going to be bad guys and women who rise up and share things that contradict the truth of God, very subtly, very wickedly. There are those who will secretly introduce destructive heresies to their own destruction. But we need to stand firm in what we've been taught. And for that, we need to be taught. And so the Apostle Paul has taught them in the first three weeks of their faith, but he is also reminding them within this year of their faith about what's going on because they are being tempted to be discouraged because someone is saying something that's not true. Here's what we saw last week. And remember, we're not to let anyone deceive us, but we should stand firm in the word. So we saw last week. Now we request you, brethren, verse 1, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. The first thing is, we have a request, he says. We're asking something of you. And it's in regarding to our gathering together and the coming of the Lord. That's what he says it's regarding. That's the subject, okay? And then he says, within that, that you wouldn't be quickly shaken or from your composure disturbed. And then he talks about being from a false message or whatever it might be. Now, we talked about this last week. The subject here is the rapture of the church. And you say, how can I say that? Well, we looked at it last week. Now, the term rapture is not in Scripture. Those who would twist the Word of God and be against what God says, will say, well, that's not in the Word of God. Well, it's not. It's a Latin translation of the Greek word harpazo, which is in Scripture. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which they had been written to earlier, and it talks about the Lord Jesus coming and forcibly grabbing us and taking us to be with him in the air. And we saw that. We saw that. And I spent a lot of time talking about that last time. You can, you can listen to those. You can go back and get 1 Thessalonians 4, that CD, and that, or that, that will have the information too, or go online. But you see, God made it clear that he was going to come for us. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 18, 3 to, 13 to 18, and John 14, 1 through 6. And these Thessalonians were eagerly, they were eagerly, awaiting uh, the Lord to deliver them from the wrath to come. We see that in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians uh, verse 10. And they knew and they were told by Paul in chapter 5 verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians that they were not destined for wrath. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're no longer under his wrath. You're not destined for that. And they were told that. And then in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians 
uh, we see that when Jesus Christ comes, he will bring with those the souls of those who have died in Christ. If you die today and you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, your body goes in the grave and everybody looks at that and says, you know, we're sad about that. But the real you goes to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And Christ will come with those who have fallen asleep first. Their bodies will be raised, they'll be glorified, and then those of us who are alive and remain at that time in Christ will be changed, will be glorified by the exertion of his power, Philippians chapter 3, and will be made and have bodies for eternity without sin. What a wonderful thing. That's what the Lord's going to do. He's going to deliver us and take us to a place that he has prepared for us, like he said in John 14, 1 and 6. And so with that in mind... Um, these Thessalonians were being told, they were being told that, hey, with regards to the rapture, yet no, you're in the day of the Lord. It's so bad. You're in God's wrath. And it was a false letter that had come, or by a spirit, a false prophet, or, or by a word, someone saying, hey, this is what Paul said. Look at verse uh, two, 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians again. I may be saying verse to second, getting mixed up, but you know where I am. 2 Thessalonians. Now we request you, brethren, this is the request, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's the rapture. That's gathering to him. Okay? He says that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect the day of the Lord has come. You see, because if someone says the day of the Lord has come, you missed God's deliverance from his wrath. That's a big deal if you're looking forward to his deliverance from God's wrath. And they could be shaken up. And so he's going to explain to them in our passage, hey, here is the things that must happen for that day to be here, and you're not in it. And we know from chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians that Christ is going to come first and deliver us from that first. And so what does he say now in uh, verse 3? Let no one deceive you in any way. We talked about this word deceive. There's one word in Greek to, to deceive, which speaks about, you know, leading someone astray. This is a word that speaks of being fully deceived, being completely seduced. It's the same word that was used to speak of Eve in 1 Timothy 2 in the garden, completely seduced, completely deceived. It's the same thing that happened to the Corinthians that Satan was trying to do in 1, 2 Corinthians 11, to deceive them completely. And so he's saying, let no one in any manner, in any, any fashion, in any fashion, seduce you wholly. Don't let them do that. Don't let them do it. And how are they not to let them do it? By holding to the truth. And he's going to remind them of that. Understand the truth of God so that when the bad guys come in, twist it, you can stand firm in the truth. So you won't be shaken up. Like I shared earlier in chapter 2, verse 15, So then, brethren, the summary, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter from us. That's from Paul the Apostle. Hold firm to it. So don't let anyone deceive you in any way concerning the day of the Lord and thus that you missed the coming of our Lord for you in our gathering together. And notice what he says. How, how might someone deceive them? He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for it, that is the day of the Lord, which is what they were trying to deceive them about, saying, hey, it's come. He's saying, hey, the day of the Lord, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of 
destruction. Don't get so easily shaken. Don't get so easily shaken because it can't happen unless the apostasy has come and the man of lawlessness has been revealed. And that has not happened. You're not going to go through it. They're lying to you that the day of the Lord has come. They're lying, trying to shake you up. Don't let anyone wholly deceive you. And he goes on to explain a little more about this uh, son of destruction, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, uh, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Hey, I was... Back when you were three weeks old in the faith, I was telling you this stuff. I was telling you deep truths. Don't ever believe the false teachers that say, oh, they're baby Christians. We can't share very much. We need to put it down low for them. No, share the word of God. They'll get used to it. They'll start absorbing it. They'll understand it. Paul says, I used to, don't you remember I told you these things? Now, regarding the day of the Lord, I shared a lot about that last week. That is the day of God's wrath. It is the day of his judgment upon this earth for sin. It is the day that Yahweh, the Lord, takes back what is rightfully his. And yet within that, he uses that day of his fierce wrath against the nations, as we saw in Zechariah chapter 14 earlier, to also use it as a purging influence to purge out sin in Israel to the point that two-thirds die, by the way, but one-third remains, Zechariah 13, and then he saves all Israel through that purging. That's another part of it. So the day of the Lord, we talked about that last time, but that day of the Lord happens, and I shared this, and I gave you an overview last time also of end times events. I'm not going to go through that. That would take the whole sermon if I did. But that day of the Lord happens in what we call the tribulation. And it's a seven-year tribulation. It's the day. It's the it's the, the it's the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. It's which in the point the day of the Lord happens. The first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then the second three and a half, the great tribulation, as we will see. So you say, wait a second. Okay, so we believers will be taken away. But then what happens? Well, then there's this seven-year tribulation, which is the day of the Lord is in that, intertwined in that, with culminating with Christ coming at the end of that and establishing his kingdom. But you say, where do you get this seven-year stuff? Uh, I'm told there's no such thing as that. Well, let's take a look, because I want to show from the word of God where we get our understanding of what's going on, because it's very important, because... All the false reformed theology guys give you uh, twisted scriptures where they share one scripture out of context and they don't share it in light of the Old Testament, scripture interpreting scripture. So let's take a look. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 9. And as I mentioned, i got a lot to share. And so don't worry about uh, having to take notes and write everything down. Just absorb what uh, the point is from the Word of God. Daniel chapter 9. Now, in Daniel, the first six chapters are historical, basically historical in nature, although there's the dreams and things that we see that give us some prophetic-ish stuff. But the second part is prophetic. And we have, or, and we have the reality of this, this, uh, these, these, these uh, portions in Daniel which give us great understanding of what the future will be. 
Now, Daniel 9.23, if you read 1 through 22, it's a great portion, by the way, because Daniel is actually reading through Jeremiah, and he realizes the 70 years is up. That time in which God was disciplining Israel is up. And he is confessing his sin and confessing the sin of Israel. And that moves the Lord to move and share some truth with him here. Daniel 9.23, And in the beginning of your supplications... The command was issued. This is our angel sharing this. This is great, right? You get a little insight into heaven, don't you? When you began praying, a command was issued. Isn't that great? Command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. This is an angel speaking to Daniel. So, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Now he's going to explain. Seventy weeks have been decreed for you, for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. How ironic that this prophecy comes right as Daniel is realizing their discipline is over. Every interesting, the prophecy of ultimately then their salvation and the time that is aligned with that. So he says here, 70 weeks. Now, the Jews understood the terminology. The term week spoke of a group of seven, a week of things. When I have a week, we think of a group of days, seven days. This is weeks in weeks of years, and the context will prove that out. So a week here is seven years, weeks of years, and you'll see that as he talks about it. The Jews understood that. So that would be 490 years are decreed. Now, the Jewish day given was 360 days, not 65. So if you're trying to figure it out, make sure you use 360 days. So we have weeks of years. So God decreed something, 70 weeks of years, for something to happen. To finish, he says here, he says here, for your people, which is really important, and the holy city. It's for Jews. It's not for Gentiles. It's for the Jews. This is for the Jews. Very important to understand this. 70 weeks. And he says there, for your holy city uh, to finish the transgression, to, to end transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and thus seal up prophecy, vision of prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. And obviously to anoint it would be to have it function the way it should be with Christ on the throne, as we're going to see. He's saying 70 weeks to end Israel's sin by bringing atonement and everlasting righteousness. You see, if you read the Old Testament, I think you will get a very good picture that Israel was very disobedient and very sinful. And there was almost rarely a time where Israel obeyed the Lord apart from people disobeying. And we see there was always just a remnant. They were God's chosen people, so God was faithful to them. Like the ladies are going through Ruth, and part of that talks of the judges. You know, God, even though they would crowd in their, in their, in, when things are bad, God was faithful to his covenant to them, even though many of them were not truly saved. And Israel is walking in sin right now, in unbelief. Does Israel right now in the land, do they believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Now, there's a remnant. So he's saying 490 years have been decreed by God to bring in Israel's salvation and to bring about the holy place being functioning the way it's supposed to function with the Lord there to anoint the holy place. And so as we look at this, notice in the next verse, 
Verse 25, so you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's seven plus 62? 69, right? Right? And he says here, if, and it will be built again with moat, with plaza, moat, even in times of distress. So he's saying, hey, here's where this clock starts from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And that's very interesting because we have that decree in Nehemiah chapter 2. We know exactly the year that that came about. And if you do the math and you have 400, or if you have, uh, you have uh, 69 weeks of years, this 69 weeks from that decree ends up being in 32 AD, right around March or April, and it says until Messiah the Prince. It actually turns out to be the exact day that Christ came into Jerusalem and they were saying, Hosanna, uh, the king of the Jews, before they crucified him a week later. So the prophecy is it's going to be this much time till the king comes in, Messiah the Prince, the Messiah. And so we have 69 weeks, 7 plus 62, and then notice what it says. He says here, and then after 62 weeks, verse 26, that implies the 7 is there because he said 7, 62, that's 69, right? After that second part, the Messiah will what? Be cut off. You know, this was written many years before Jesus died, and we have the prophecy that he would be cut off at the exact time that you could figure out exactly when he'd be cut off. And will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. And the, his, its end will become with flood, even to the end that there will be war, desolations are determined. We know that that time came and 69 weeks of years was at the point Christ was coming in. Then what happened after that? He was cut off. And then what happened in 70 AD? The temple was destroyed. We have the place destroyed, right? Just like it says. Okay, so we have 69 weeks. And now we have here someone to come. He says here, as we're going to see. Um, notice in verse 26. Come, I cut off people of the prince. Notice this, the people of the prince who is to come. The term prince means a ruler. The people of him, those are Satan's people, as we're going to see. They're the people that aren't good. They're the ones who destroyed Jerusalem, as we're going to see. And then notice in verse 27. We have now... Um, we have now another statement about this last week of years. Very interesting. And he, that's the prince who's going to come, right, will make a firm covenant, that's an agreement, with the many, those are Jews, for one week. That's that last week, isn't it? So he's talking about the 70th week. But in the middle of the week, that's in the middle, that's seven years, three and a half years. What is he going to do? He's going to what? He's going to cut off, stop, put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. On the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. The abomination of desolation, by the way. Even a complete destruction. Uh, one, that has decre- one that is decreed is poured out uh, to the one who makes desolate. So we have this 70th week. And it begins with this abomination of desolation making a deal with Israel to start sacrifices again. But he, in the middle of that seven years, cuts it off. Okay, That's what it says there. 
So we have 70 weeks of years. And now the reality is that God did something very amazing. And it's amazing for us if you're a Gentile. When Israel rejected Jesus Christ, God's plan, which was primarily for Israel to be a, 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 for the nations to see, to be a kingdom of priests, they failed and crucified the Messiah. His plan turned to Gentiles. It's a mystery. It's called the church. We are living in this gap of time where God is no longer directly dealing with Israel, that's 69 weeks, he is dealing with Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, Romans chapter 11. Then once we're taken away and we're, the fullness is there, then he turns his clock back to that last year to deal with Israel. And what is he doing? He's saving them to make an end of sin, to bring an everlasting rise. But two things are happening in this 70th week. One, it is the day of the Lord, judgment upon the nations. We heard about that before. And then he's going to use that to purge Israel to see their need for the Messiah when he comes, and they will mourn and weep over him when he comes. Look in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. So that's where we get our seven-year tribulation. You get it from here, from the scriptures. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. If you're wicked, you're in trouble. Ask God to open your eyes. But those who have insight will understand. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is what? Abolished. That's the middle, right? The and the abomination of desolation is set up. That's him being set up. We'll see that, and we see that in our passage today. Remember that. There will be 1,290 days. That's 30 more days than three and a half years. Okay? How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains 1335. I believe that means you made it into the millennium because you're a believer in the tribulation. That's what I believe. But as for you, go your way to the end, and then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So then let me summarize. God's plan for Israel was temporarily discontinued when they cut off, when the Messiah was cut off, and it was God's plan. And he moved his mercy, Romans chapter 11, to Gentiles. The gospel is going out to the world through the church before his name was being proclaimed through Israel at that time. That's why in this seven-year tribulation there'll be 144,000 Jews sharing the gospel because he's using them again during that time. And so there's a seven-year tribulation. That's the one week that's left. And it's the time of God's Jacob's trouble. It is a time of distress. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, a time that uh, if it hadn't been cut short, no flesh would have survived. It's a time of, of, of great tribulation, tribulation leading up to great tribulation. But the church will not enter into it. You know, if you see all the stuff we're going to see today about this time, you'd be shaken up too if, if, you, if, you th- if someone shared the word and said, hey, you're going into that. No, we're not going into that. Jesus is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. So then, back to our passage, and we're going to go through the other passages too. Back to our passage. So he says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, that's being taken before the rapture, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Hey, that time hasn't come yet. You didn't miss God coming for you first because that time hasn't come. And he's going to share now two things that have to happen for that actually 
to come. And he says here, let no one deceive you in any way. Here we go. For it, speaking of the day of the Lord, which is this during this tribulation, uh, which have, it's, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? So then two events must happen for that to happen. And we are not going to see those events because we're not destined for wrath. But he's explaining so that you will not be taken captive by those who will say that you will go through that. And there are a lot of bad theologies out there, people that do that right now, by the way. Stay away from Reformed theology. Their eschatology is absolutely as evil as what these people were trying to twist here. And Paul's correcting. So notice there's two things that are going to happen first. There has to be first a worldwide apostasy. He says here, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The term apostasy speaks of falling away or a defection. That's what it means, a departure. Now here, we have little apostasies in places where we see that. Anytime someone names the name of Christ and they claim to follow him, but they're really not, it's a false claim, and then they turn away from him to something else, that is apostasy. A true believer cannot apostatize because you are in Christ. You can never, uh, you can never turn away from him. You're his forever. No one will snatch uh, you out of his hand, including yourself, right? If you're in Christ, you cannot apostatize. But if you're not in Christ, you certainly can. And the reality is, uh, we'll see, we see in Hebrews chapter, we see in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 6, that there are those who have tasted the good word of God and tasted the spirit and, and they turn away. There's no way to restore them to repentance. They've apostatized. And so back in our passage, he's saying, the day of the Lord won't come unless the apostasy has come. Which means, basically, everyone who names the true name of the Lord is going to turn away from that in mass. In mass. The day of the Lord is not going to come till that happens. Till that happens. True believers will be gone, and those who are the fakers, they will no longer claim to follow the Jesus of the scripture, they will turn away. They will apostatize. And that leads the groundwork for them worshiping the beast. You see that. And notice what he says here. He says, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself. Notice he doesn't say above God because he's no longer doing that at this point. Above, he'll do that later on. Above every so-called God and object of worship. See, they've apostatized, so they got all their objects of worship and so-called gods, and this guy's going to oppose and go above all of them. We're going to see he's going to make himself out to be God. So the reality is, there's going to be a thorough, complete apostasy. The Lord Jesus spoke about this. Matthew 24.10, he said, At that time, many will fall away. Many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Now that's speaking to Jews, and that's true. 
And that's true because when Christ comes, if you're still there, you're going to get saved for the Jews. So then we have this apostasy that must come first. It lays the groundwork. You're not in the day of the Lord till there is the massive apostasy of turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not real believers, it's fakers and make-believers. If you're sitting here today, you're a faker or a make-believer, I don't know your heart. Um, You know, if we get taken away today and you go into this, you're going to turn away. That's what it says. And you're going to worship the beast. And you're going to be deluded. And you're going to be deceived. And God's going to allow it so you'll go to your judgment because you did not uh, have a love to be saved, uh, rejoice in the truth and be saved and trust in Christ. There's a point where God allows his judgment to come when you have rejected him. When you have rejected him. So that's the first thing, right? Now, what's the second one? This is where it gets kind of complex. Okay, the apostasy comes first. And then secondly, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The term lawlessness speaks of sin. It speaks of a lack of boundaries and really regarding conduct and sin. It's sin. First John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so notice here, first of all, let's make some observations. The man of lawlessness. It's a man. It's not a God. It's not an angel. It's a man. A created being like you and I. One of God's creations. And he's the man of sin. Well, who is this man of sin? Who is this man of lawlessness? There's a lot in Scripture. And again, we don't want to get tantalized and focus on it. That's not the point. The point is you're going to see that Christ is going to defeat him. There are bad things coming, but Christ is going to defeat him. And that's the point. Notice how he's described here in our passage. He's described as the son of destruction. That's the description here. The term uh, description, destruction, 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 destruction means utter waste, utter destruction. And this term son obviously speaks of a relationship. When you are a son of something, you are related. You're identified by, right? The only other one time this is used, by the way, is used in John chapter 17, verse 12, in reference to Judas. It's translated son of perdition. Son of ultimate destruction. That's his, that's his destiny. For his uh, wickedness and rejecting of Christ and what he did delivering him up, his destiny is, is utter destruction. Well, guess who's related to him, in a sense, spiritually? This man, this Antichrist, the son of destruction. Son of destruction. Speaks of a spiritual relationship, I believe. Jesus would tell the Jews who didn't believe in him, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do his will, John 8. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's your spiritual parent. And this is your spiritual destiny. This man's spiritual destiny is he is a son of destruction, utter destruction he causes it and he will enter into it as he's defeated so then what do we know about this son of perdition the son of destruction in matthew chapter 24 uh, the lord jesus calls him the abomination of desolation referring to the book of daniel which we read of earlier matthew 24 and i would love to share through matthew 24 you can get the cds from 24 on we go through all this stuff uh, here but matthew 24 verse 15 Therefore, now the Lord Jesus is speaking to, he's speaking about the sign of the end of the age and his coming. 
He's answering those questions. And he's going to say, here's what's going to happen. All this stuff's going to happen. And he's talking to, it morphs into him talking to Jews who will be in that time who are not saved or do get saved. And he's going to say, when you see this, you better do this. You see? And in that seven years, we won't be here. There'll be Jews who, didn't, who weren't saved and went into it, and they're going to get saved. They're going to be reading the New Testament. And they're going to see what happens. And, they're going to, and God says, you better do this or you're in big trouble. Notice what he says. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation who is spoken of through Daniel, which we saw, the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. When you read this and you see it happening, and in the context here, get out of town. Flee to how, a place where I'm going to protect you. We'll see that in Revelation. Okay? That's what he's talking about. And those who don't do so, evidence they don't know the Lord, don't they? Because they're not obeying the word of God. So then, he's called the abomination of desolation here. The son of destruction, the abomination of desolation. The term abomination speaks of a detestable thing. A detestable thing religiously. Desolation speaks of devastation and destruction. A detestable thing that causes destruction. That's who this guy is. A detestable thing that causes destruction. Testable thing. And he says, when you see him, spoken of Daniel. Remember we saw it briefly in uh, Daniel 9.27. You remember that? We saw Daniel 9.27. And he will make a firm covenant, agreement, with the many for one week. That's that last seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even a complete destruction, that one is decreed is poured out, the one who makes desolate. So we have this evil man in the middle of this last seven years, making or beginning making a firm covenant with Israel, a deal. He's going to make a deal, okay? In the middle, he's going to break that deal. Now, from the book of Daniel, we gain even more understanding into this man. He is called there, and in Revelation, the beast. The beast. He's like a beast. To understand this, earlier in Daniel, uh, Daniel would give, Nebuchadnezzar would have a vision, and Daniel would interpret that. And it had to do with four uh, kingdoms, in a sense, four future world kingdoms. And then in chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of four beasts. And this is explained, and I want to go through this. And like I said, a lot of stuff I'm going to go through, but let's go through it. Daniel chapter 7, it's in the Bible, we can understand it. Daniel chapter 7. It's going to help us understand this man, this abomination of desolation. And you'll know where to look up. God gives us a lot of information. Now, I don't have time to break down this, this uh, prophecy that Daniel has. I'm going to give you some information as I go through it. But then Daniel's going to be perplexed. He's going to say, I want to know about that fourth beast. And he's going to, it's going to explain, and we're going to see more clearly. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, by the way, this will be helpful for later, the great sea is always usually speaking of Gentiles. Gentiles, four winds, the whole earth in a sense. Stirring up the great sea. That's prophetic, okay? You're going to see that. Okay, it's going to be important for Revelation. By the way, you can't understand Revelation without understanding Daniel. Okay? So here, 
and four great beasts. This is a vision, so it's got, it's not, every part you don't dissect, but parts have meaning that can be interpreted, okay? And four great beasts were coming up from the sea. Those are Gentiles, by the way. That's the implication. Different from one another. They had different qualities of beastiness, I guess. All right? He said the first was not a lion, but like a lion and had wings of an eagle. Now, we can see from other passages that that's speaking of Babylon. That's the way Babylon was and the way the empire was. Now, we'll keep going. I kept looking and under its wings until its wings were plucked. That's Nebuchadnezzar. You know, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. I think that's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, by the way. He said, and behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. This is, I believe, speaking of Medo-Persia. Now, I don't have time to explain that, but I'm just going to give you the information. And it was raised up on one side, and three of its ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise, devour, and eat much meat. These are, as we're going to see, they're kingdoms. And I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard. That's Greece, I believe which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads. That's what happened to Greece when it split up. You see that in the empire, right? Four. And dominion was given to it. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, there was a fourth beast. Now in Daniel, it's looking forward. And when you look forward, sometimes you can see two mountains that look like they're like this, but they're actually spread. Here, it's speaking of a fourth beast. It's the Roman Empire, I believe, but he's going to morph, it's going to morph into what happens in the very end of time, which we call a revived Roman Empire. We see back earlier in Daniel that what God does, the same type of empire, and we'll see this in a minute, that was on earth when Jesus was there, like Rome, will be there when the 70th week happens. It's like the clock starts and we have almost the same thing happening then, the same characteristics. Now keep reading. Dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong, and had large iron teeth. Sounds like Roman Empire, doesn't it? And it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different. Now it's going to start to morph here. This is where it morphs. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another little horn came up among them. Three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. I believe we'll see that's the Antichrist, okay? That's the abomination of desolation. That's the son of destruction, okay? So we see that. So you've got four beasts, with the last one being the worst, ten horns, and another one arising, subduing three horns. And this horn is speaking great boasts. So what happens? Verse uh, 9. And I kept looking until, this is great, by the way, wherever you got the Antichrist, right next to it, you see the defeating of him, by the way. Always see it. And I kept looking until thrones were sent up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his vesture was like white as snow, and his hair on his head was pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels like burning fire, and a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. you got these beasts that have this temporal power for a little while, and Satan's behind them, as we're going to see. These world kingdoms. But here you have who's really on the throne. And myriads and myriads were standing before him, and the court sat, and books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the, little, which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain. 
There you get this first word, the beast, right? And his body was destroyed and given to burning fire. Amen, right? All right. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in night visions, and behold, and behold, with the clouds, one like the Son of Man coming. This is what Revelation starts out with, by the way, chapter 1. And you go, this is what it's about. It's about Jesus coming, right? You see, you got to remember this. One like the Son of, Son of Man coming. And he, gave, he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. There's Christ reigning, right? That all the people's nations, men of every language, might serve him. That's what we should be doing. And it will happen. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Hey, here's all these kingdoms that are going on. One extremely dreadful with this horrible beast. But the Lord is going to take over. He's going to have dominion forever and ever. Don't worry about it, right? But yet Daniel, like maybe you and I, was a little perplexed. He wanted to know what's going on. Look at here. Daniel chapter 7 16. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. Maybe that's happening to you as we hear all this information, right? He's like, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And I approached the, the, those who were standing by and began asking them the exact meaning of all this. Here you go. Here's, some, here's an interpretation. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Here you go. The great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will rise, arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Amen, right? That's our destiny. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of what? The fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns, which were on its head, and the other horn, which came up before and the three of them, which the three of them fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. You can see that in Revelation chapter 13. Until the Ancient of Days came, again, he's going to get destroyed, right? Days came. And judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Most Highest One. And the time arrived when the saints put, took possession of the kingdom. Hey, this isn't kingdom now, but it will come, folks. All right. Then he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth. Here you go. Which will be different from all the other kingdoms. And it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten kings, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. Out of that earthly kingdom. And another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. And so you have a final kingdom, in a sense, with ten kings. Another one arises, which subdues three of those kings, obviously. And as we're going to see, this is the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. This is how he's getting set up. This is how he's getting set up. And then notice in verse 25, we have a description of him. And he will speak against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. We're going to see that in Revelation 13. And he will intend, listen to this, make alterations to times and in law, and they will be given in his hand for a time, times and a half a time. You go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 6 and 13, time, 
times and a half a time, that's three and a half years. It's very clear. It's very clear. This abomination of desolation is going to be able to do whatever he wants, and he's going to make some major changes. Now you can start to see why these Thessalonians are kind of alarmed. We're going to go through this. Uh, they're saying that, no, that Paul said that, didn't he? No, it was false. You're not going to go through this. You're not. And so here, I love how uh, when the character of this person is revealed, right next to it is his imminent destruction. Look at verse 26. But the court will sit in judgment, for his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Amen. Then the sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions, all the dominions will serve and obey him. Amen. At that point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Now, you guys, face is growing pale now. I mean, that's a lot of information, right? But the reality is, um, understanding the book of Daniel immeasurably helps us understand the book of Revelation. Because the symbolism in Revelation is from, more often than not, the book of Daniel. Indeed, in Revelation 12, turn, turn there, turn to Revelation chapter 12. Again, I told you there would be a lot here, so just uh, hang on there and hope you got your sack lunches. Revelation chapter 12 is really, truly, if you understand the outline of Revelation, it is um, Satan introduced in light of Israel and Jesus. Revelation 13 is the beast introduced in the false prophet. Revelation 14 is Christ will overcome them. He will defeat them, as you're going to see. And then we see how it plays out. Okay, so Revelation 12, and I want to read part of this. Now, evidently, in the middle of this seven years, the, the Antichrist makes a deal in the beginning. And he still doesn't have full ultimate power. He's subduing kings. There's things that are going on. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's all kinds of stuff. God is starting to put his wrath out. See that in Revelation. But in the middle, as we see in our passage, and as we see what the Lord Jesus said, he's going to declare himself to be God. And he's going to take full power. And we're going to see what is behind that. And that last three and a half years is the great tribulation ending in him being slain the, the bad guy and put in the lake of fire and Christ coming and establishing his kingdom. So we're going to see what precipitates this guy, this man, all of a sudden having all Satan's power on earth, this uh, Antichrist. Notice what happens, Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. That's Satan, by the way. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Yes, Satan was cast out, but we see in Job, he, he, he comes up before the Lord. He presents himself, so do his angels. They present themselves. Here, he's finally kicked out. This is great, by the way. He's kicked out, okay? And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to where? To the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard, and this is great, because if you're a believer, we'll be with the Thessalonians. We'll be in heaven right now while all this bad stuff's happening. And we will be saying this right now, up there. Um, not right now, but... And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. You see, before this happens, Satan goes up there and accuses you and I all the time. Look at what Greg did. Look at what he did. He's accused of the brethren. Look at this. Look at this. But we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. We're covered by his blood. And so now he's thrown down, right? Been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before, before God, day and night. And they overcame, that's believers, how those accused, how so? Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, that they did not love their life even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. This is during the day of the Lord. Okay? Having what? Great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. This is during the tribulation. It's starting, it's, it's the, it's the impetus for the great tribulation the last three and a half years. When the dra- and when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down the earth, he persecuted the woman. That's Israel, by the way, who, who gave birth to the male child. That's speaking of Christ, by the way. And two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. This is when Matthew 25, where Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation in the holy place, get out. Don't even grab your stuff. If you're woe to those who are nursing at the time, woe this, if you're not prepared for this, because I told you it's coming, get out and get protected. That's what he's talking about. And so it was given her place where she was nourished for what? A time, times, and a half a time. Sounds familiar. Three and a half years. From the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so she might, she might kind of be swept away by, with a flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. It's, it's symbolic, but it's happening. It's true. And the dragon was enraged with the women and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Those are believers. And you see in chapter 13 he goes to persecute, and he has given authority over them, and many believers are slaughtered during this time. So we have this beast. We have this beast. And then um, look at uh, Revelation 13, okay? This is the right, the next spot. This is where the beast is introduced, okay? And, and there's different translations, but I, I, I like this translation. Some of them are messed up. The New King James has got some of the things backwards here, but uh, Revelation 13:1. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, um, and I saw a beast coming up from the sea. Okay, a beast coming up by the sea. What's the sea? It's Gentiles. I believe the Antichrist is a Gentile, by the way, just from this statement. Okay, he's coming up out of the sea. We've seen that term uh, throughout. And it says, notice the description, having ten horns, seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. Here we have the beast intricately aligned with Satan. You can look at Revelation chapter 12. I don't have time for that. Now, what's the significance of these ten horns, seven heads, and ten diadems? Well, the ten horns and ten diadems, those are those ten nations, by the way, as we're going to see. Diadems are kings, right? He's sovereign over that. Turn to Revelation 17. This is the last one I want to share with you about this. Revelation 17. Then we'll get back to 13 for a minute. This explains... What's behind this Antichrist? This explains what's going on in the kingdoms and all the stuff that's happening. It's really important. Revelation chapter 17, verse uh, 1. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke to me, 
said, come up here, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot. And I believe that's Jerusalem, by the way, who sits on many waters, who with the kings of earth committed adultery, acts of immorality and adultery, acts, acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into the waters. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having what? I said a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now the scarlet beast had, was full of blasphemous names, having what? Seven heads and ten horns. Okay? Keep holding on there. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls, having a, in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and un, of unclean things of her immorality. This is chapter 17. And upon her forehead was written, mystery. Now, it's a mystery. If it's a mystery, then it doesn't mean exactly what it says as you read it. There's some mystery behind it, by the way. Just think about that. A mystery. Babylon the great, mother of all harlots, abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And now at this point, we have the description. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Here's the explanation. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Jesus Christ is the one who is and will be and is to come, right? The beast is the opposite. He is, he is not, right? And he won't be, okay? And it says here, and all who dwell on the earth will wonder whose name have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Those who are those who are not overcome through faith in Jesus. When they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, these prophecies shows stop there and they say, there are seven mountains in Rome and that's the mountain, that's all. Just read the next line. It has nothing to do with that. He says, and, the star, and they are what? Seven kings. That's what the heads represent. He says, uh, there are seven kings. Five had fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. And the beast which was and is not is himself an eighth, basically. An eighth kingdom. He and is, is one of the seven. He's the seven, but he's so powerful. He's basically a kingdom in and of himself. And he goes to destruction. You have here um, the seven kingdoms spoken of. And Daniel talks about those. There are ones before Daniel. You have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and then, or Babylon, then Medo-Persia, Greece. Uh, five have fallen. And one is. That's Rome of this time when John is saying this. One is. And there's one to come, which would be that revised Rome. And so we have here the kingdoms that Satan has been sovereign over. He is described this way in Revelation chapter 12, the seven heads. He's the sovereign. He's the God of this world. And he's going to give all his authority to this beast. Let's keep going here. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority uh, uh, as kings, obviously, for one hour. Then, this is what we saw back in Daniel, these have one purpose, that they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, 
and those who are with him who are called chosen and faithful. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Remember that? The harlot is benefiting from the nations, committing spiritual adultery with them. That's what we saw earlier. And he says here, um, And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate. This beast makes a deal with Israel. They're doing fine. And in the middle of it, he starts to persecute her. And he uses these things to, to, to destroy her. Make her naked, eat her flesh, burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose, having a common purpose by giving the kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. You can go to chapter 11 of Revelation, I think it's verse 8. The great city is where our Lord was crucified. That's what it says. Okay. So we have this beast who is basically going to be the head of this final kingdom at this time. And now it makes sense with Daniel's 70th weeks. We have the abomination of desolation. Now, one last passage here. How are we doing on time, Will? 105. Okay, well, we've got a little bit left here, okay? So grab your snacks. Just I want to finish up here, okay? So back to Revelation 13. 13. Verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear. His mouth was like a lion. Wow, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the book of Daniel, doesn't it? He's like all those kingdoms before in one. All the evil qualities, he is like those. That's the strength. And notice what it says. And his mouth was mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him all his power, his throne, and great authority that's this guy that has not happened you're not in the day of the lord thessalonians this guy has not raised himself up and declared himself to be god you're not in the day of the lord this has to happen for that to happen that's what he's talking about and later on you can read through the rest of revelation 13 talks about those who will receive the mark it talks about the the beast uh, being allowed to persecute believers for this time this last three and a half years to their and they're going to be martyrs they're going to die talks about the mark of the beast all it's the mark of a man it says it's the number of a man right and so i wanted to share with daniel chapter 11 you can look at it on your own time um, but let's go back to our passage in Second Thessalonians, for time's sake. Daniel chapter, or our passage, actually, let's go back. Boy, there's so many other passages I want to share with you. But uh, as you're turning to our passage, um, the summary here is basically the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, the beast, uh, has been given all of Satan's power. And that's what we're seeing back in our passage Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come. That's the day of the Lord, the day God pours out his wrath on this world, and Christ takes back what is rightfully his, unless the apostasy comes first, the complete turning away, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Revealed. Now, he's going to talk about what he is. Who opposes and exalts himself, verse 4, above every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. The earth is ripe for the greatest wickedness that's ever been. And there'll be three and a half years of that, 
and at the end Christ will come. He will destroy his enemies. The beast, the false prophet, will be thrown in the lake of fire. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Christ will go bring uh, uh, in his kingdom at that time. And so we have this Antichrist who is empowered by Satan because he has a little time left. And that's what those times are going to be like. Thessalonians, you're not going through that. They're lying to you. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't be so quickly shaken. You're not destined for wrath, but for salvation. See, we need to remember that. A lot to share, but I'm not, I don't have time to share it. Next week we'll get into it. But the beast is going to be defeated. We saw it. Uh, his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, destroyed forever, Daniel. Um, he will come to an end and no one will help him. Revelation, he's going to be uh, thrown into the lake of fire, seized. And with the false prophet, Purim's sign, he'll be deceived those. Uh, that he'll still be thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, alive. They're not going to get away with it. And then in our passage... Then this lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance, his appearance with his coming. So there's a lot of bad stuff coming. The world is going to completely apostatize. It's going to go completely away. But there's something restraining that now. We'll see that next week. There's something that restrains this from happening, and that restraint needs to be taken out of the way, and that's coming. That's coming, and we'll see this in our next passage. I told you there's a lot here. A lot of information, but very basic point. The earth is going to hell. And apart from trusting in Jesus Christ, you're going there too. If you reject the gospel, if you're hardened, you're going to be deceived unto your own destruction. Fear God and give him glory. That's when the gospel is going to go out even during that time. Fear God and give him glory. Trust in Christ. But for us, God is gracious. Before this happens, we are delivered to be with Jesus. And we will be with him forever. So what are we to do? We're to ever be thankful for our deliverance. And we're to look for our deliverer, like the Thessalonians were. We're not to be deceived and get caught up in the events of the world so that we get our eyes off Jesus Christ, who will come to deliver us. We're not to be shaken or troubled, but we need to know the word of God so that we will stand firm till the end, till he comes for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that this beast will be utterly defeated and you will establish your kingdom. But Lord, there's a great warning for those who have not trusted in your son Jesus, that they will be deceived under their own destruction. I pray for them that they would beg you to break the hardness of their hearts, that they would see their sin correctly and they would trust in you, believe in your son Jesus Christ for salvation. And Lord, for us, thank you. Thank you we will not go through this. Thank you we are not destined for your wrath, but we're destined for salvation. May we be eagerly awaiting our Savior, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.